Hi guys, welcome back to the Coffee Break podcast where we discuss passionate topics and conversations you would have over coffee. Today I have Alex on the podcast or known as Dietitian on Instagram. On today's topic, we discuss about disordered eating in men from body image, his personal experience, risk factors and the barriers to speaking up. So with that said, let's get started. I've got Alex on the podcast, so quickly we'll start and introduce about yourself. So tell me a bit about you, your work, who you are as a person. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Brensha. Um, As you mentioned, my name is Alex. I'm a dietitian mainly specialising in eating disorders based up here in Brisbane, Australia. I'm originally from Melbourne, but I was lucky enough to move up here uh, probably in the middle of last year to start work as a dietitian here. Um, as I mentioned, I mainly work in the eating disorder space, and that's mainly stemming from a passion from my own lived experience of an eating disorder when I was, uh, I guess, in late childhood, early adolescence. And that lasted throughout most of my adolescence and into my early adulthood um, throughout my recovery journey. And I'm really, really fortunate to work amongst amazing professionals in this space nowadays, and I'm on a very progressive but steep learning curve still. Um <laughs> Outside of outside of work, I'm I pretty much love anything outdoors. So I'm so grateful to be living here in beautiful sunny Queensland now. Well, that's a lot easier than Melbourne, where I grew up. Um, I'm a massive AFL fan. I'm still a big foodie, and I love cooking and heading to the markets, which are awesome here in Bruce. And um, yeah, heading down to a beach trip whenever I whenever I possibly can. I just need to learn to surf when I when I can finally <laughs> build the confidence to do so. That's Queensland, I swear. Like, everyone's, like, on the beach or, like, surfing. And literally, like, Melbourne weather, like, you don't know if you're going to need a jacket or, like, shorts. <laughs> yeah. I swear. It's, literally. It's been a, a lot easier to uh, to be outdoors ever since moving here. I'll say that. Yeah. And just, like, you can get up in the morning. It feels so much better. Um, we're going to go on the topic about eating disorders in men. Um, it's just a bit of barriers and we're going to go a bit about your experience and see where we can go from there. Um, I'm really excited for this one here and thank you so much for joining. Um, we're going to quickly chat about, I guess, the social media and the Instagram sort of side of things. Can you tell me a bit about that and like any facts or statistics that you've come across? Yeah, so first of all, um, I think we should touch on social media. It gets a really bad rap. However, at the same time, social media can have a really good positive influence on, on, on people who need to learn more about a positive relationship with food or about nutrition or um, so on and so forth. The thing I'll say, though, is it just depends on who you follow. So it's sometimes at certain stages in someone's eating disorder recovery journey, it may be wise to to try their best to delete social media for a certain amount of time to limit access. That that may be necessary for some people. But at other times, um, it may just be learning more or maybe more realistic, um, learning more about who to follow, who to engage with what messages we want to be paying attention to and then what sort of junk on social media or really dangerous advice that's out there that we should perhaps be um, limiting or staying away from. Um, And the reason why I say that is 
that it's far too easy for people to be on social media and create accounts and be posting about food and nutrition, posting about exercise, um, including lots of body-focused content, whether that be selfies, reels, TikToks, involving their bodies and body checking and lots of, um, I guess, revealing imagery and videography of people's bodies. And a lot of these things can make some make it really hard for people recovering from an eating disorder and let alone can contribute to someone, I guess, developing risky um, disordered eating behaviors or poorer body image. There's actually um, some there's actually some really cool technology being developed. So I don't think it's released yet. Um, so I won't be going into specifics or anything, but some really cool technology being developed around universities around, um, here in Australia, helping to protect people on social media against content, which is pro-eating disorder or pro-dieting and that sort of thing. So to summarize or wrap up, um, social media can be very dangerous in promoting eating disorder content and promoting dieting content and only showing certain bodies, which may be unrealistic for lots and lots of people um, to live healthily within. However, um, it can be used positively. It's just about who we follow, who we choose to engage with, and um, who we choose to unfollow and limit engagement with. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like now as well, how easily things are, like we consume into things as well, like how big, I guess, like the health and fitness fitness industry has grown as well. It's easy to just like follow someone and think that's correct. And you don't know the person, you don't know what like, what's right and what's wrong as well and you just jump in from what you think is good as well it's yeah it just really messes us messes a lot of like us up um especially to those with eating disorders as well i completely agree yeah, yeah. absolutely social media is um even separate even separate from like the the food and nutrition and exercise space mm -hmm. social social media is a highlight reel it's not real it's fake um, regardless of the industry or um, what's being posted and promoted, it's a, it's a highlight reel. It doesn't encapsulate real life very well. It's edited. It's meant to look glamorous. It's meant to look as best as possible. Um, so people comparing them, their own bodies or their own eating or their exercise or their own life to other people on social media who are trying to make things look perfect where no one's life is perfect can be quite dangerous and encourage people to pursue diets exercise regimes body comparisons whatever that aren't good for them and their requirements and their circumstances so it's that comparison element that that really drives some of the danger yeah i completely agree it's it's, it's a, there's a lot that we consume at once as well when we scroll past and a lot of different people we follow um yeah i was going to say moving on from that as well like why do you believe there's been more talk about disordered eating in men i feel like this is a big one with like like sport social media as well um definitely in sport too but yeah you can obviously answer more about that yeah, so thanks so much for asking. I'll, um, I'll start off by, I guess, first of all, just speaking about some of the barriers that men, but I want to touch on many different um, population groups, but in this specific conversation, men face in speaking about their mental health. Traditionally speaking, if we go back decades, um, 
it was stereotypical for men to be told to zip their mouth, to swallow their feelings, to suck it up, to get on with it. Boys don't cry, be tough, right? Whether that was from other family members, whether that was by sports coaches, whether that was amongst friendship groups with guys, it was common for guys to be have to zip their mouths and to hide their feelings. So whether it's about eating disorders or whether it's about anything to do with mental health or even health in general or life adversity, men um, stereotypically um, and historically find it hard to be vulnerable with things that they're finding hard because they're afraid of being judged by society as a whole, but especially by other men. So they're afraid to speak about their difficulties. That also leads into men potentially not even knowing that they're experiencing some form of adversity, whether that be general mental health difficulty or if we're speaking about disordered eating specifically, some men may not even be aware of that what they're experiencing is problematic and that they may benefit from help from someone. They may not even know what they're going through. <clears throat> that, so those are the first couple of things I wanted to touch on. And then branching on from that, eating disorders and disordered eating, again, unfortunately, have been stereotyped as a female condition. And people, unfortunately, or traditionally expect a, a white, thin female who's starving themselves and is afraid to gain weight. And even though that is absolutely a valid eating disorder presentation that people experience and have difficulty with, that's only one of an enormous variety of eating disorder presentations um, that present very differently and amongst a wide variety of population groups. And men are one of the population groups that go um, to be less recognized. So it's estimated that and different numbers are thrown around, but between a quarter to up to a third of all disordered eating and eating disorder presentations are experienced by people who identify as male or as a man. And that statistic is probably a lot higher because of some of these issues I've just been speaking about. There's probably still a lot of men who are afraid to come out and speak about their difficulties or may not even be knowing that they are experiencing something as problematic. But what's positive in terms of what you asked in terms of more people speaking about this and um, more people, I guess, providing open arms for men to come forwards is movement as a society towards equality and equity about, I guess, equal access to healthcare um, for all people. So men and as well as all other population groups who historically have unfortunately been excluded from this. So it's becoming more, in summary, it's becoming more recognized and it's becoming more accepted amongst society that men are vulnerable as well at times and men need help with their mental health and potentially with their eating and body image at times as well. And I guess the last um, thing I want to say there is that um, unfortunately, a lot of distorted eating and, and, and exercise behaviors as well as body image ideals for a man to be muscular, shredded with a six-pack, broad shoulders, tall, muscly, tanned, all these sorts of things. This is, this is unfortunately depicted as the, the ideal healthy man. And lots of men feel the pressure to look like this to be accepted and for people to be attracted to them and so on and so forth. So if we start speaking around these unrealistic body ideals more and more and more, um, we can start to be educated as a society, not only amongst men, but as a society that this is unrealistic for all men to obtain and it can actually foster really 
unhealthy relationships with food and, and exercise. Yeah. So long yeah. I I'm gonna touch base on like being vulnerable as well, because I think that's a massive one. And like oh, it's a I don't know if it's a guy thing as well, but that just hides so much of what you don't know, especially with like what we're chatting about, like disordered eating. Um, they're not chatting about in like groups, like in men say like maybe you're going out for dinner with like your group of guy friends, you just chat about like just whatever's going on really. Um, and then being from vulnerable, that's like such a hard thing to really open up to. But yeah, that that just really leads to confusion about, you know, do I do I have a problem with my food? Is it just me? Like or am I just feeling like this as well? It's yeah, that's a really big one, I believe. Definitely, definitely, yeah. So the more that it's recognised, the more that it is spoken about, the more it will be accepted for other men to come and, and other population groups to come forward and be vulnerable when previously they may have felt like they, they couldn't have been. But society starting to recognise this as a, as, a, as a people problem and as a societal problem, disordered eating and eating disorders, rather than as a, a, as a female problem, which perhaps decades ago, that's all it was really known as especially with like a big group of men it's you know you think about you know just your physique um how you look and how you train but like all these other things like being vulnerable like just to accept the fact that i have this issue as well not just bandage it but yeah thank you for that too <laughs> my pleasure my pleasure vulnerability um one of my one of my idols i don't know if you've heard of hugh van kylenberg from the resilience project Oh man, that oh, that name rings. I have not read that book yet, but <laughs> definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. Um, in his other book, Let Go, he he talks lots around the topic of shame and and letting go of shame. And I guess it's a really brief way that he described it is as vulnerability uh, fostering connection with with other people. Mm -hmm. If you're if you limit vulnerability and close yourself off from um being vulnerable, it's it can, it can, not always, but it can lead to stilted relationships and being closed off from people. But being vulnerable can really help you to connect with other people and help others and, and yeah, form long-lasting connections with others. So I just really like that phrase, vulnerability drives connection. Oh, yeah. I have, have heard that one as well a lot. And I agree, like, literally what you do post as well. So and what you've grown to have, you know, all this this community and the awareness you're sharing as well. So that is a massive one. So I completely agree with that too. Um thank you for that. I was gonna quickly quickly as well about you growing up. Let's share a bit about that. Anything that you loved doing um back then you did talk about footy. Was there anything else that you uh, anything <laughs> yeah so if i go back as far as i can remember um when i was a young kid other than building things like lego and 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 that sort of thing i was just obsessed with yeah footy I, like aussie rules footy afl to be specific all i would do is run around the house kicking a ball <laughs> drawing jerseys watching replays that sort of thing i was obsessed with was there a, is there a foot like are you footy. into footy now yeah i am the team I am, you go yeah. for I grew up in Melbourne as a St Kilda supporter, but then yeah. um, after losing interest in footy in high school and then coming back to footy in early university, I'm now a Lions fan. So, all right, yes, oh, okay. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Very unfortunate result on the weekend. The other, yeah, I was going to say that too, but to be very honest, um, I'm sure we'll get to this at some point. 
um i i've just been diagnosed as autistic and um as a kid um my special interest was footy so that's pretty much what my life was that's all i would um be interested in i think there are a couple of other things as well like i was obsessed with star wars and harry potter at a couple of phases when i was young and i used to be obsessed with those things for like a brief amount of time like a few months or whatever it was but footy was like the main thing i was just that was my life i was absolutely obsessed with it so yeah that was the main thing that carried me through until it was about 11 where i got really um interested in cooking that's where i first started being really interested in food and cooking and um, would start to learn from my grandparents, especially my couple of grandmas in the kitchen about how to make certain things and how to bake and how to use certain things in the kitchen. Um, I got, excuse me, really obsessed with those things when I was about 11. And yeah, that's probably when it first started feeding into um, early um, disordered eating, I guess. It's interesting how that kind of like thinking about it kind of tied in, I guess, like the like footy as well, like the sport. And then you being diagnosed with um, autism like recently too and then also like getting into like I don't know like learning about food and you know enjoying that as well and then where you are now too everything kind of just ties in so it's just funny how like all your experiences kind of like shaped you to where you are now really as well do you reckon at the time when you I guess you know you enjoyed footy there was like like how we spoke about earlier that masculine like man type of role with like you know your with how you look and your body type and all sorts of that like i feel like you have more to say with the rum going with that though yeah absolutely so i guess that was part of my journey um to put it into more context i was always a very anxious um especially very anxious kid but socially anxious as well which i now can learn it was probably part of being autistic um, but very obsessive, very low self-esteem um, from since I can remember. So all of those things were with me like from a very young age, as far back as I can remember. Um, my parents were divorced. I got divorced when I was about 10 years old um, and I turned towards food to cope and I was emotionally eating um, very frequently on most days and my body changed in line with that and I was bullied pretty relentlessly not only for being the quote-unquote weird kid um but because i'd started to put on weight as part of um emotionally eating and i was bullied pretty relentlessly for those couple of things and i um for for example i was one of the slower runners i found exercise a lot harder like harder to fit into certain clothes all of these sorts of things compared to other boys who were 10 or 11 or whatever um and that yeah it did make I guess, footy harder because it was harder for me to run around at one point. And I guess that's where it, I first started internalising or taking on a lot of this bullying and feeling even more isolated than I was. And that's where I first really started turning towards, I guess, distorted eating behaviours. Obviously, I didn't understand them at the time as a little 11-year-old, but all I thought was well, to feel safe and to feel accepted and to be better at this thing I'm obsessed with, I need to... Um, I need to just obsess over learning about how to do that. And unfortunately, there was lots of dieting advice online that I first started coming across and I guess photos of other men um, who looked muscly, who looked lean, who 
met this body image ideal of a man. So from a very young age and a very with a very obsessive and anxious brain, I took all of this stuff on very quickly and um yeah, started restricting my intake and over exercising as an eleven year old and I lost a lot of weight very quickly. And where I first got put in contact with a dietitian. Yeah. Um so I guess that was the the first wave of my journey in a significant summary, but the real significant wave of my eating disorder came a little bit later when I was about 14. And so all the same sort of things were there, like early high school, puberty, um, social groups and social hierarchy starting to form in high school and I guess romantic relationships and being a, a heterosexual man, being interested in women and wanting to try and attract women and that sort of thing. And I guess all the messages you learn is that the as a 14 year old who doesn't understand things yet like all you see in movies and tv shows and in social groups and that sort of thing is that the tall guys with muscles and abs get get women right and um both friends and family um would notice how obsessed with exercise i was and quote unquote healthy eating they notice how obsessed with those things are when they with good intentions praised me for those things they said look how disciplined you are with your exercise, look how disciplined you are with your eating, all these sorts of things. Um, you look great, like all this sort of stuff. Because without realizing that most of my self-esteem and identity was just based around trying to be fit and healthy. Um, and halfway through the year, I think like I went through like a breakup, like a 14-year-old breakup. It's funny to look back on oh. now. <laughs> but that just threatened my identity so hard that I spiraled out of control um, with obsessive exercise and really restrictive eating. And that was the only way I felt like I could control my life and be worthwhile. And yeah, um, six months later, I ended up in, in hospital um, for a month with, with, with a severe eating disorder. And yeah, it was probably the hardest thing I had ever been through um, and probably ever will go through, but that was really the, um, the first turning point in my recovery journey and for the next, I'd say, six or so years in really learning more about myself and about this space, why the eating disorder was there and what really developed my passion for for being um, an eating disorder practitioner in this space. Wow. Thank, thanks for sharing that. that was, I was really open. And I was going to say, when you're like – I can relate as well. Like when you're 14 years old, you don't know what's going on. You're like, you don't know why is my, like, why is my relationship with food like this really? And to go from, you would like what, eating more than you know, than you should and then restricting so much as well. Um, and being at that, a young age, like you didn't know, you know, what you were diagnosed with as well. Um, so it is, like it is a hard thing and going through like parental divorce and it, like a lot of those things as well. It is ch like challenging. It is challenging. And I feel like you don't, it's never going to like stop. Like you're never going to, you, you'll learn like even now as well. Um, Cause I can relate with that too. Like you, like you're still learning like li little bits here and there about yourself to this day it's like it's a process as well as you grow up as you grow up not being in high school it's it's a tough one <laughs> adolescence is brutal it is. adolescence is absolutely brutal and 
going back to the um the social media conversation that we were having before i was i count myself as in some ways relatively lucky that tiktok didn't exist oh, instagram gosh. instagram was just starting to grow when i was about 14 it had just come onto the scene and people were posting literally just photos with those like shitty edits and no reels yet like it was it was like just, Kim wow back in the day yeah, in the day. yeah. <laughs> it was just starting to come onto the scene so like facebook was still the prime thing and yeah. like even though there was posting photos of people and um like mirror selfies and body checks and that sort of thing and there was comparison to other bodies that was problematic and that was part of my journey but seeing influencers online posting their bodies posting their what I eat in a day videos, posting their nutrition misinformation, posting their stupid exercise routines, like all of this, like all of these photos and reels and TikToks, none of that existed. So I can only imagine how hard it is now for teenage, young, like growing up children, adolescents, young adults who are trying to recover from an eating disorder or who just who are experiencing disordered eating, how hard it would be for them to to be exposed to this stuff when they aren't, I guess, accounting for the misinformation and they're following those toxic accounts. So I was really, even though social media was part of my journey, it wasn't the extent to what it is nowadays, you know? Yeah, I'd actually think about that until now. But like when you mention it, it's actually gotten worse. There's a lot going on when I think about it. And yeah, to those who don't know that they're going through like, a, I know, disordered eating, whatever it is, um, or to those who like turn to food and then obviously follow a whole bunch of like misinformation, you, you'd like poor, I don't know, poor whoever who's going through that don't know what's wrong, what's right. Like there's just so much as well. And it's, it's very, it's very consuming. Yeah, I didn't think about that until now, until you said it, really. Mm. So I've, <laughs> how old are you? I'm 25. Oh, okay. 25, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, And like you said, with the old, say, turning back to your parents and then going to food as well, I feel like when, you know, when you've got that disordered eating and you feel lonely, mm. it's like that's your, that's your, like, safe spot. Like you just feel the best when you're on your own and you're eating like obviously like how like how did you feel when you were going through that yeah so um to be very honest like going back until i was like 10 years old it's hard to remember i guess from that comfort eating perspective but it, like moving on from there when i started to enter the restrictive eating space um it's a really good way of explaining that eating disorders technically aren't a choice for people right like deep 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 down when they start learning that these behaviors are harmful and um that they need to um, learn about how to move on from them every behavior has a reason or have has a purpose or every behavior is trying to solve a problem for someone so when someone i'll use myself as an example is being bullied feels isolated socially, is constantly anxious, low self-esteem, their parents get divorced and their family's broken, that sort of thing. Nothing really feels safe. Nowhere feels safe. Everything's out of control. Um, everything feels scary, right? So 
if you feel like you're not going to be bullied anymore and you feel like your environment will become more controllable and predictable by restricting food and exercising out of control and you feel like you can change your body, something starts feeling like it's in control again. And unfortunately, the bullying did stop. It's a comment on society that um, bullying stops when someone's body changes like that. It's a really unfortunate thing. So it's a good way to, I guess, an analogy to use to explain that eating disorder behaviors aren't healthy. They're not okay. They need to be addressed, but they're there for a reason. And that's because they often help people to feel safe or they help to bring predictability and, and control to someone's life when they don't feel like they've had that before. And if for someone who doesn't think much about themselves or they don't really know who they are or they haven't formed much of an identity yet, um, what comes with someone eating and exercising or presenting a certain way in their body can fill those voids that haven't been um, filled yet. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, definitely the, um, when there's a spot in your life that has nothing going on or you're losing connection, especially when it comes to family, when, when you, when you lack like social interaction as well, then what do you turn to? And for some, it could be anything, but like with any addiction, alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, or whatever, disorder, it's still there. And food is still like a, like a mental toll that no mm. one really thinks about. Cause, oh, it's just food. Like, how can it be that bad? <laughs> like maybe like if one bit of your life goes downhill and you don't have anything else really and that's like it's a lot it just takes control and you you, you can't mm. explain it you really there is no explanation behind it um especially obviously like being at that age you're going to think about footy and think about school to think about my grad you know your grades and where you want to go in life like you're not you that's the last thing you want to think about and like you said growing up when you you know when it was high school oh that's when you realize all these things okay that makes sense and stuff so yeah it's a lot it's a lot but i completely agree as well with being isolated and being in that safe space it takes up so much like you you're constantly thinking about food as well if it was back then yeah time absolutely yeah Absolutely. Like it was, it's interesting looking at the pattern because before um, the eating disorder started, I did genuinely start to become interested in food and cooking mm. and how food is grown, where our food comes from, like agriculture and that sort of thing. So I genuinely did start um, getting interested in it. But unfortunately, when um, everything unraveled, the eating disorder sort of clung to food and became parasitic almost and got carried away with it if you look at it as an analogy like that mm, that's interesting as well and i was really inspired by the dietitian that helped me in my recovery journey from that a little bit when i was a kid and then from when i was 14 through to when i was about 18 i was seeing this dietitian um pretty much um a decreasing frequency over four years who really helped me um, um, repair the relationship with food and get things back on track. So there was a few different contributing factors. Um, I look back on it now, many, many years later, and unfortunately part 
of the reason why I studied nutrition and dietetics was that when I went into it, um, I still was obsessed with nutrition. I still was very obsessed with body composition and all these sorts of things. And part of that relates to being autistic. It was just something that I was obsessed with and I couldn't stop thinking about and reading about and that sort of thing. But part of it was related to that. I guess if you want to look at it as disordered eating and um, eating disorder remnants, which was still there. Mm. So it's a very complex reason why I decided to go into dietetics in the first place back when I was finishing high school, like guy like seven or more years ago now. Um, <laughs> but as I progressed on through the study, I took a break halfway through and went to do my fitness certs. And again, from a place probably of obsession with exercise and body composition. So not fully from the right place, but another angle was from the fact that movement helped me feel great. Movement helped my mental health. I loved I loved learning how to connect with other people better. And going into the fitness industry helped me to do all of those things. So I guess the reasons why I went into nutrition and dietetics and the fitness industry, not fully, but partially came from a, um, a concerning place. But as I've moved on through my studies and work experience and that sort of thing, I've actually grown different interests in in health professional and that's mainly from helping people and with people and um, guiding people through making changes themselves but also having an increasing interest in mental health and entering that space of nutrition and dietetics nowadays and very complex reasoning behind why I, I did what I did but the reasons have changed as I've progressed on through and other areas of interest and passion have grown. I was going to quickly as well about your journey. Um, we did mention about, you know, your body image and stuff. Um, like there's few things about anything that you want to include, like your health, like what it means to you, um, things you want to cover about that. Yeah. So um, I guess if I've interpreted the question correctly with my body image side of things or even though and this is relatively common um through speaking to other health professionals and through working as one now in this space that at the core of lots of eating disorders not all eating disorders but lots of eating disorders comes an overvaluation of weight and shape and that's a fancy way of saying that someone holds their body weight or their body shape their body appearance body composition very, very closely to their identity and, and sense of self and who they are, right? So um, if you think about it on a pie chart of their self-worth or their identity, most of that pie chart is taken up by um, what they look like, including their weight or their shape, or their um, level of muscle they have, level of body fat, whatever you want to look at it as. And for me, um, because from a very young age, I learned that I needed to look a certain way to be safe and accepted, I clung on to that really, 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 really hard. And it was unfortunately similar in a high school that one of the main reasons why I was accepted or one of the main reasons why um, at that age women showed interest in me or coaches were um, praiseful towards me, whatever, was because I looked a certain way and I was um, exercising and eating in a certain way, right? So... Take that with someone who is autistic and um, becomes very preoccupied to a significant degree with things. 
um, if you combine those things more together nowadays, even though my eating is probably one of the best places it's ever been before, um, I still do have intermittent waves of negative body image where I don't feel muscly enough or I don't feel tall enough or I don't like a certain shape of a certain body part of mine. And I find myself falling into the trap of comparing myself to other men and feeling like I need to change a body part to um, to be more accepted or praised or whatever it is. And it's a matter of pulling myself back into line and recognizing all of the other things about me, which makes me who I am and what which helps me contribute to the world in the way I want to and which helps me live my life in line with my values for the people that matter in my life. So it's body image is still something which is very hard in waves in the world that we live in, which is kinder to certain bodies and nastier to other kinds of bodies. But it's it's like you were saying before, a very progressive learning journey. It's not something which changes overnight. And something which has helped me and which helps lots of people is something called body neutrality, which isn't necessarily, it's on a spectrum. It's not necessarily body positivity where people talk about loving their body or um, the body looking amazing and all these sorts of things that might not be realistic for some people. But just because we don't like the way we look all the time, that doesn't mean we can't accept the way we look. We can't accept our body for the way it is and appreciate the other things that our body does for us and helps us function to do and doesn't mean that we can't be compassionate towards our body still just because we don't like the way it looks. So that's the way I like to, I guess, approach my um, body nowadays and the general way that I like to approach um, speaking about body image with, with other people. Yeah, I think that's the best way. To, I have heard of that. I got who or where I saw that post from as well. But going back to like what you first said, like those little traits with how you felt about yourself, they're not going to like, they're not going to go away. Like how you look now is always completely different to how you looked 10 years ago. But how you feel about yourself is how you, you're still going to carry those traits. What you said as well, the like instead of like, body positivity and stuff like that because it doesn't that, that gets thrown around a lot with the fitness industry they you know track the macros or go to gym like six times a week and you look at them and they're like okay well they're all just muscly you know like how we chat about and how you you know like oh my god like i don't feel muscle like all that sort of stuff as well but yeah if that makes sense yeah you raise a really important point right that oh, not not everyone this is a generalization that i that i'm making but you do see it on social media where people like in the gym community it's just an example people in the gym community who have bodies which are praised by society and which are considered by society to be conventionally attractive right um if people like that are talking about loving your body and being positive about your body and um, being confident in your body and all these sorts of things, it it can be really harmful to people that don't look like that. Even if they don't, even if they don't mean it with ill intent, because I'm sure that most of them don't mean it badly. They probably come with good intentions, but they don't realize that they hold certain privilege in those bodies. When people who don't look like that have probably experienced at least one negative experience because of their bodies not looking like that. 
or they may not be praised as much. They may not be as accepted. They may receive harmful comments from people, right? And it's it's really, really, really hard in a society which is so um, so for so nasty to certain bodies. It's really hard for a lot of people to be to love their bodies or to be positive about their bodies if the I guess the smoke in the environment around them is isn't conducive for that. So until our environment is like that. Hopefully one day it's more realistic for lots of people to practice acceptance towards their bodies and compassion towards their bodies, which helps drive towards neutrality and then to find a space where they are um, paying attention to the other things about them which make them who they are and which they are proud of and which they do love and which they do own. Because you did chat about your values now, obviously, and, you know, it's still a learning curve, like it's still a learning journey. Your health values now, like where do you, where do they lie? I think to myself, um, I'm looking at, I guess, the whole, the word health, right? I think to myself, well, what do I actually want out of my life? What do I want my career to look like? What do I want my, um, my work days to look like? What do I want my social life to look like? What do I want my hobbies to look like? What do I want my exercise and movement to look like I, like I look at all these different domains of my life and ask myself what do i want it to look like right and once i've got an idea about what i want it to look like i'm like how is the way i'm eating supporting that how is the way i'm exercising supporting that how is the way i'm talking about my body right now supporting me to do these things right okay um i could eat x y and z to achieve x y and z but is that going to stop me from being able to socialize like i want to is that going to stop me from enjoying this experience that i could have on the weekend is going to the gym this many times a week for this many minutes going to impact on these other domains of my life which are really important to me as well everything obviously there's going to be lots of domains in life which are going to have to give at some point that's that's natural but i'm like how can i do the best to balance wanting to eat in a certain way or move in a certain way with making friendships making memorable experiences having fun and being a bit silly sometimes learning um, finding hobbies outside of food and the gym because when that's your life or if you know someone that that's their life entirely, it's like, well, what else? Like surely there's more to this person than that, you know? Um, what other goals do I have for my life? Like traveling, like saving for a house one day if I want to do that. There's so many different domains to my life now which contribute to fulfillment, happiness. And for those areas, fulfillment and happiness and learning to be long-lasting, I know that food exercise and the way my body looks that those things just can't dominate my brain anymore they just can't dominate my life anymore or all of these other things that i want are going to shrink and be stuck forever and i'll get to the end of um my days one day and ask myself was it worth it was it really worth it or was fulfilling all these other areas in my life that have nothing to do with food and exercise or body the way my body looks are those things going to make my life worth it, you know? 
So it's broadening in the concept of health and it's broadening in the concept of life too. What do I want these things to look like? What is going to bring me happiness? What is going to bring me fulfillment? Mm-hmm. That's a really good um, thing, like you touch based on like health as it is because I do talk about this with my friends. Like you, you, you cannot be too obsessive with food and the gym and like what are like you really have to think about what other areas are you missing out in your life because you, you're taking up a huge chunk of thought and your days to what else you could be doing really um like you know we're talking about how much thought about you go with food and all the things you touch base on you know like traveling saving up like putting some thought into like your work and all these little things like making memories and stuff like these are the things you want to relax and be present you know what you know what i mean um but no right i have really good things you covered there and i reckon a lot of people hopefully (laughs) can take on this um finishing off with a couple of things just with like waste, like you're the barriers with speaking up. Um, what ways can people and like men especially take on board with this? I guess first of all, if um the first thing I want to say is that it's valid if you're afraid to speak up, whether you've been whether it's friends, whether it's coaches, teachers, family members, whoever. If if you've been made to feel like you're weak or like you um don't deserve to speak up in the past then it's valid if you're afraid to is that's all i want to say first but secondly what i'd like to say is if you're if your friends or if anyone in your life you think won't be supportive towards your mental health difficulties then a couple of things first of all how much do you want them in your life and secondly is that more of a reflection on you being a weak person or is that a reflection on them not having a sound enough understanding or connection to mental health and the importance? I really love that, what you just said as well. It's like off topic about disordered eating, but are you afraid to lose connection with your friend or are you just struggling like to speak up really, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point you covered there. Yeah. Uh, I really love that one there. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's um these people in your life who may be making you feel weak for being vulnerable. Is that a yeah, is it a reflection on you as a person or is it a reflection on them needing to learn more about how to be supportive and them needing to learn more about mental health? It's just something I wanted to say. And secondly, if you don't feel like your friendship group or if you don't feel like certain people are the right people to speak to, then Go to someone who you do feel safe speaking to. You don't need to tell everyone straight away. You can only you only need to tell maybe one or two people that you feel safe sharing with or you feel close to or that you trust. And if you really do feel like you can't speak to anyone in your immediate life, then the Butterfly Foundation is a wonderful starting point. It's a nationwide eating disorder representative organization that has a national helpline and online chat function, which you're able to share your story with and anonymous people who are trained in eating disorders are able to help you um, get in contact with the services that you need, which is a lot more private 
than speaking to someone you know, for example. Yeah, I've heard so much about them. They're uh, they their helpline and their hours they they're extended till like eleven like eleven like eleven p.m. twelve a.m. I think I'm pretty yeah sure. correct yeah. correct. Thank you so much for sharing so much about that. Um, I think we do covered we covered a lot. We covered a lot for the past hour. Um, I'm going to quickly wrap this up, um, and I'm going to ask you three questions on the spot. Um, favorite? Okay, no. Firstly, actually, go to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That I usually eat. Yeah. On a day-to-day basis, oh, gosh. Um, for breakfast, I'm so boring. This is so embarrassing. Breakfast will either be a big bowl of oats with yogurt and or protein powder and fruit yeah. or toast, eggs, baked beans, sometimes some smoked salmon or bacon. Filling. Gosh, it's that. Um, lunchtime today, I had chicken, veggie, cashew, stir-fry with like ginger, garlic, honey, soy sauce, that sort of thing with bran rice. And then dinner time will probably be something similar to lunchtime, to be very honest. Yeah. Yeah, pretty similar. Sauces. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. Or or it'll be like, I don't know, like roast potatoes, salmon, or some other sort of fish and veggies. Yeah, during the week, very boring. On the weekend, we try and go out and have something fun. Um, okay, weekend though, like what would you like go to? Like All time. All-time favorite dinner would be a Vietnamese restaurant or uh, Mexican food. Oh, yum. Either or. Anything like beef tacos or anything Vietnamese is yum. Beautiful. And one more question as well. If someone could describe you in in a short sentence, put you on the spot. I apologize. Ah, jeez. Depends on the person. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, in a in a good way. Oh, if someone walked out of your office, then um, yeah, that does. Hey, I reckon. I reckon some people walking out of the office would be. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> probably it'd probably be along the lines of I feel very safe and comfortable sharing anything with him, oh. but he needs to be he needs to be nicer to himself and not so worried about what people think of him. That's really, that's, mm. yeah, okay. I really love that there. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good one. Um, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I hope you guys took something out of this and enjoyed this podcast. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. I guess um, thank you for listening. I hope this has helped anyone who is listening. If you'd like to reach out and have a chat, my Instagram's arod underscore dietitian on Instagram, and I guess the last thing I want to say is that you are if you are experiencing disordered eating and or an eating disorder, um, help is available and help. Uh, sorry, moving on and recovering from your experience is possible as well. And to be vulnerable is a strength, not a weakness. And to end this episode, I will leave more information about Alex in the show notes. And if you made it this far, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode about disordered eating and the relatable conversations to it. It was really good, especially coming from someone with the personal experience as well. So if you have any questions, anything you would like me to discuss, do message my Instagram. My name, Brentia Tolentino, 
or the podcast, The Coffee Break Podcast. Have an amazing week and stay tuned for more.